Um, so we are looking in Titus. It is in the New Testament, so the latter half of the Bible. It's towards the back. It's, um, it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy. If you found Timothy, just keep on going a little bit further towards the back and you find Titus. There's only two pages in two pages in my Bible, so it's quite short. And we are going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 10 to 19. So chapter 1, verses 10 to 19, put a finger by it, and we'll come to that uh, in a moment. But first of all, a question for you, a quick poll. Were you, in your younger years, or possibly now, a rebel or a goody-two-shoes? Okay, so have a quick think. Uh, were you or are you a rebel or a goody two-shoes? Put your hand up if you are or were a rebel. Okay, Thelma still is a rebel. Oh, yeah, it's looking at, I'm just taking note of this because I need to sort you like. Okay, hands down. Put your hands up if you're a bit of a goody two-shoes. Yeah, put your hands up if you're somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah. See, it depends when you looked at my life. So at high school, I was a goody two-shoes. I was the sort of person the rebels came to for help with their homework. So I was a goody two-shoes in high school, but in primary school, it was not quite uh, that the case. Uh, if you look at my lovely three children, they were very well behaved. That was not me at their, at their age. In fact, my mum had to take me to the doctors because I, I was hyperactive and rather naughty. And, um, and I know I was rather naughty because uh, I lived in Ipswich, I grew up in Ipswich, I went to a primary school called Gusford Primary School in Ipswich. And when I was in my 20s, I came back to Ipswich to start a teaching job. And uh, one of the uh, girls at church that I was friends with, she had started a teaching job at my old primary school, at Gusford Primary School. And she happened to mention me. Now, not only did the teachers remember me, which is a bad sign, if you're a teacher, and I was a teacher, I know... Teachers only remember kids if they were very, very good or very, very bad. And they remembered me, and not only did they remember me, they couldn't believe that I wasn't in prison. Okay, that's... They couldn't believe that I was actually a teacher. So, (laughs) I was a bit of a rebel, but I changed. And it's okay to be a rebel, I guess. But actually, what we're going to look at in this passage is going to be some rebellious people, some rebels... Now, if you were here last week, we looked at the passages that were preceding this passage, verses 5 to 9, and who were we talking about? Who was Paul talking about in that passage? Elders, elders and deacons, overseers, people who were good role models, people who were leading the way. And Paul was saying to Titus, if you want this church to flourish, if you're going to straighten out this church, which is a little bit of a mess then you need to put in place some elders, some overseers, some role models who are going to lead the way. And he gave quite a a list of fairly strong guidelines of what these elders, these overseers needed to be because they needed to be good people who were kind and considerate, who were uh, seeped in the Bible and were able to take people on a journey from here to there, to take them from being maybe not knowing anything about Jesus, to be really walking their life with Jesus. So you needed these people. But in this, these few verses, we're going to be talking about, well, Paul's going to be talking about to Titus, about the rebels. Okay, so let's read from verse 10. We'll pick up a few bits and pieces as we go along, and I'm just going to uh, conclude around one particular uh, subject, I think, um, at least God's spoken to me about. 
in this passage. So verse 10 should appear on the screen above me. For there are many rebels, many rebellious people. These are people who are purposely going against the will and the teaching of the church. They are full of meaningless talk. They're empty-headed. They're worthless. They haven't got anything worthwhile to say. And deception. So these are people who are not only deceiving others, but are deceived themselves. It may be they wholeheartedly believe what they are teaching, but Paul's saying they are being, they are being deceived. And actually, they're going to go and deceive others as well. And he says, especially those of the circumcision group. Now, who is the circumcision group? Basically, this was a Jewish group who were insisting that if you became a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you weren't a Jew, you had to, one, follow the rules, the Jewish rules, and there were many, and I taught you know, hundreds of Jewish rules, and also you needed to be circumcised. Now, let's just consider that for a moment. We, are, we have a men's ministry in this church. Um, in fact, Date for your diaries, 29th of February, we are having a men's breakfast in here to talk about men's ministry, okay, and what we're doing. So, I think it's at half past eight, in here, 29th of February, it's a Saturday. Anyway, we've got men's ministry. Now, suppose a guy came to me and said, thank you, I'm really, really inspired and I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, what do I need to do? And you go, well... Very simple, really. We've got this prayer, and you're going to ask for forgiveness, and you're going to make, bring, welcome Jesus into your life. Now, here it is. We can go through it now. Oh, just another small thing. Bob, Bob, come over here. Can you bring the scissors, please? We just need, you know, if you think about it, this is putting a huge barrier between people <laughs> following Jesus Christ. It's basically said, you need to, if you're a bloke, you need to be circumcised, regardless of your age. This is something they did to little babies. You know, you're in your 30s, come follow Jesus. You can see how this could be a little bit of a barrier. And in particularly other books, uh, other letters that um, Paul wrote you know, to the church in Galatia, for example, Paul has hugely strong words to speak against this particular group of people. I won't say some of the stuff he said because it's not very kind. But Paul says, this is a significant problem. This is a significant barrier to the word of Jesus Christ getting out and people actually following Jesus. So he's got the rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, and especially I'm pointing at you, Jewish guys and women who are um, part of the circumcision group. Verse 11, they must be silenced. These are strong words. Now, I don't think he meant, you know, get a sniper or an assassin or something. No, I know he didn't mean that. But this is strong words. They must be silenced. They mustn't be allowed to keep speaking their lies and their deceptions. Why? Because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. Now, household, they could mean families. Also, they could mean a church. A church often met in a household. Actually, they're causing huge disruption. And this is the main problem. These people who were speaking teachings that were against what Paul and Titus were teaching, what the church was teaching, the teaching of Jesus. They were causing division, they were causing disagreements, they were causing hurt and upset, they were causing broken relationships within families, within friendships. So this, is one just, this isn't just an academic disagreement, or oh, you used to believe this, 
I believe this, let's agree to disagree. This was having huge repercussions within the church. It was causing splits and divisions. And actually, it's not a problem to disagree. And actually, you know, we've just had Brexit uh, officially happen on Friday. And that's something that can threaten to split families and a nation either. And there are things within our church which can threaten to divide rather than unite. So we're going to be looking at our Living Stones project. You know, what do we feel about the building out there? We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be listening. We're going to be praying. What does God want us to do? And this is something that could cause some division. And we have to be seriously careful how we disagree because we are not going to agree on everything. Paul says they must be silenced. These people are speaking against the teaching of Jesus. And then he goes on to verse 12, this weird thing. Uh, is this this quote? And actually it's a bit of a joke really. The problem is when we read the Bible 2,000 years later, we don't spot the jokes. And this is Paul saying a bit of a joke really. This is a quote from a uh, philosopher called Epimenides. Is that right? Epimenides. How do you pronounce it, Deborah? Menide, Epimenides. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, a, he was a, a philosopher, he was Cretan, he wrote some poetry, and, and he's, he's quoting one here. He says, One of Crete's own prophets has said it, Cretans, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Well, that's not very nice, is it? And then he says, verse 13, this saying is true. Now, does anyone see the paradox here? Actually, this has a title called the paradox, the epimendous paradox. Does anyone see the joke here? I'm just waiting. It's obviously not true. <laughs> so he's saying a line, he's saying what he just said is true. Never mind. Right, think about it. Go home, read it. It's a paradox. Uh, it's a joke anyway, and just it's not really important. He's basically saying, look, Look at what you have to work with. Things are already difficult. We already talked about the fact that the Cretans believed that Zeus, the king, the king of the gods, was, was born on their island. He was a deceiver. He went around deceiving women, having children with them. He was a trickster. And Paul's basically saying, look, this is what you have to deal with. People are proud on the island of Crete of their, their heritage, of Zeus. This is who they base themselves upon. In fact, Cretans were well known for being mercenaries. They would be sold out to the highest bidder to fight wars for them. This is not a nice group of people. So Paul's saying, look, Titus, you have got your work cut out for you here. So he goes on to say, therefore, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply. In other words, have some righteous anger. That's not going to make you popular. Okay, but you need to speak the truth and you need to sometimes be quite hard about it. Titus, you need to be a firm teacher but also a good teacher. You need to be persuasive because you're rebuking them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. So they will be sound in the faith. And I think that's interesting. Paul's not saying, chuck these people out of the church. He's not saying, get some assassins and shoot them. He's saying, look, be persuasive. Be stern, stick with your guns so that they can be persuaded of their 
wrongdoings and the wrong teachings and they can still be part of the church. Verse 14. And pay no attention to Jewish myths or merely human commands. So this is this group, particularly the circumcision groups. They tend to use some of the, the stories from the Old Testament and elsewhere and used to exaggerate them and use them as evidence that we had to follow these, these rules, these strict rules, these hundreds of rules, these human commands. It says, pay no attention to them or those who reject the truth. We know that we are saved by grace. We are saved by what Jesus has done, not what we have done. We don't get to heaven by obeying lots of rules. We are saved because Jesus Christ died for us. Verse 15, to the pure all things are pure. But those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds are conscience and consciences are corrupted. In other words, this corruption affects everything. Therefore, verse 16, they claim to know God. So these people are passing themselves off as godly teachers. They claim to know God, but their action, by their actions they deny him. These people cannot help but outwardly show their corrupt heart. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. Harsh words. Harsh words from Paul there for these rebellious teachers who are spreading something that's contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ and is causing division. And really what I want to do is we just kind of draw something out of this. What God kind of put into my mind was barriers. Okay? Barriers. There are barriers that people and churches put up between themselves and God and others and God. And actually, at the time of Jesus Christ, the Jewish religion was all built around creating barriers between people and gods. So if you looked at the temple, for example, the temple was basically a filtration system where God lived in the Holy of Holies in the middle, and right on the outside was all, was everyone, the world, And then the first people to get filtered out as you step through the gate were those who weren't Jewish. If you're not a Jew, you're not allowed to come any further. This would be the circumcision group would love this. You're not Jewish, you're not coming in. Okay. The next group to be filtered out, actually the group before that was even the cripples, the disabled, anyone like that, anyone had any sort of impairment, any illness, disease, they were left out as well. Stay out there. You're not good enough to be close to God. Next group to um, to get out was Jewish women. Okay, you're allowed this far, but no further. You're a woman. Sorry. Next group. Okay, you're a Jewish man, but you're not a priest. You can't come any further. So another barrier. Next group. You're a priest, but you're not the high priest. You can't go any further. And only the high priest was allowed to go beyond the holy into the holy holies behind beyond the curtain to go and see God just once a year. It was barriers after barriers after barriers, a filtration system that stopped people from coming to God. And even the teachers of the law, the religious people of that time, basically looked down on anyone that couldn't keep the rules. And who was that? The people who were poor. 
to people who couldn't afford good hygiene, to people who got diseases. Who did Jesus hang out with? The poor, the sinners, the corrupt, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the ones that the religious people looked down on. Jesus was removing barriers. Who did Jesus have the harshest comments and remarks for? The Pharisees, the ones who kept the the rules, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. So both Jesus and Paul in this, their main fear, the danger they saw was not those people who who got a poor moral codes. That was not the issue. The issue was religious people who saw themselves better than they actually were and were creating barriers between gods and people. See, we looked at the elders, list of what elders needed to be last week. And they can be quite legalistic. We looked at them and thought, well, they're really strict and difficult. Well, what I look, when I look at the list of what the elders need to be, these strict rules, what that says to me is, well, you know what? Paul had to give these rules for elders because the church was full of people that didn't meet these rules and requirements. There were people in those churches who had failing marriages, who weren't good at managing their children, who were quick-tempered, who had a bad reputation. And Paul's saying, look, don't choose those ones. They will grow, but we need to choose these ones who are going to be role models and take them forward in their faith. Paul and Jesus don't want us to create barriers between God and people. And I started thinking about that, thinking, okay, what, what is it that creates those barriers? What is it that stops people coming to God? And I mean, it's a bit of a spectrum. I don't know if, how it works. At one end, you've got disobedience. This is really what Paul was talking about in those verses we just read. There were people who were willfully disobedient to the teachings of Paul, the teachings of Titus, and the teachings of Jesus. They were selfish. They were self-focused. For them it was about power and gain, financial and political. There was this refusal to change. Just put your foot down. I am not doing that. I am not changing. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what the Bible tells me. I am refusing to change. And they are not only refusing, they're also proactively endorsing that and trying to get other people to be the same as well. See, Paul has very harsh words about these people. Now, I don't think many of us, if any of us, hopefully fall into that category. Because otherwise I will silence you. (laughs) But actually there are other ways in which we create barriers. And not only barriers between other people and God, but also between us and God as well. And sometimes we don't realise that in order to grow, in order to move forward, we need to remove these barriers. Now, I don't know if any of you have been to visit or seen the Thames Barrier. Thames Barrier, this is built in the 80s, yeah? I remember when it was being built. And it's basically, this barrier comes up, like that, and it stops very high tides or flood surges from rushing down the Thames into London and flooding everywhere. So when there's like a bit of a warning, the barrier comes up and it stops the water and then when the, the danger has receded, they're bringing it back down and the Thames can carry on flowing. See, we believe 
that the Holy Spirit wants to flood this church, this estate and this town. We believe the Holy Spirit wants to come and change things. Someone even shared a vision of this church being surrounded by angels. And uh, first of all he thought, well maybe those angels are here to protect us. And then God said, no, these angels are waiting for us to go out and to go with us. And yet too many of us pull up the barrier. Went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We don't want anything flooding in here and affecting us and changing things. One of the reasons could be actually fear. Change is scary. Holy Spirit could mean me having to do stuff I don't want to do. Some stuff that I'm scared to do. I know I should do it, but really, I just please God, I don't want to. I just don't want to. It can be a refusal to engage. It can be a refusal to evangelise. It can be a refusal to pray for people. I've spoken about the fact that last weekend, Chris, Dennis and myself went to Hastings, did something called Mojo. We went out in the streets and we talk to people, we pray for people, we gave cups of tea to people, we listen to people. That's the second time I've done that. It's not me. I was scared out of my mind about doing that. Do you know why I did it? Because I was scared. Because I didn't want to do it. Because I knew that that fear can can become a barrier that stops me from moving on in my faith. And anything that stops me from moving on in my faith is something that will stop this church from moving on as well. That's a responsibility that I have. I need to be willing to step out despite the fear, despite not wanting to, because God was telling me that I should do it. And maybe God is telling you some things that you should be doing. You're going, I don't want to, please. I don't want to. Moses kept saying no to God over and over again. Loads of excuses. God wants him to go and bring the slaves, the Israelite slaves out of Egypt. And Moses kept saying, no, not me. I'm not good enough speaker. He came up with loads of excuses. Until he got to the end and God just went, enough. You're doing it. Don't get to the point when God says, enough. You step out. So there's fear, disobedience, fear. Another one I thought is practicalities. Okay, we can put up practical barriers that make complete sense to us that say, No, God, I can't do that because let's think of some things. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if this is your particular practical issue, but some of you might be, I'm, I'm too young. It's, it's, yes, that's Chris's problem. I'm too young. <laughs> Whoa. Whoops. Can you? Yeah. There's a piece on the. Oh yes, that bit. Am I still working? Yeah. Let me just put this back on. Oh dear. Oh, I can't put it on. Well, this is causing a slight break in the sermon. There we go, let's continue. What was I saying? Oh yes, you might be too young. Yeah, that's another bit. You're too old. So, um, 
Paul said to Timothy, he says, don't let people look down on you because you're too young. You're leading this church. Okay? Don't let people tell you you're too young. You're not. Okay? So you could say you're too young. Too old. Moses, he was really old. Okay? Abraham's wife, Sarah. I'm not having a baby. She was really old. That would be a shock. If (laughs) In your 80s, you have a baby. Okay? Hello. There we go. Obviously, this one's, you know, I've got three kids. The practical thing is actually we've got a family. We can't do that. We've got the kids to juggle and things like that. You know, I can't possibly help out with this and do that because of the kids. The problem is if you're saying this now, why do you think it's going to be any different when you're older? Or the kids have grown up? Or you haven't got a responsible job anymore? I'll be alright once I'm retired. If you're saying no to God now, the likelihood is that you'll be saying no to God later. Because God can work around practicalities. And of course, practicalities are important. But if it's becoming an obstacle, if it's becoming a barrier between you and God and between other people and God's, then it's a problem. So there's practicalities. The last one, as we come to a close, is ignorance. Okay, We can create barriers particularly between other people and God, I'm talking more about us as a church now, without even realising. Now, I had a conversation with uh, someone this, this week. She's been to church, this church a couple of times. She's not a Christian. She's, she's been to churches, but she's unchurched. She didn't grow up in a church. And we were just talking about her experience. And one thing she pointed out, which I hadn't even thought about, and you might have noticed there's a slight change at the beginning of the service. She said, you said at the ser- beginning of the sermon, you need to grab a Bible. There's some at the back. And she, and she said, I said to myself, I'm not getting up to get a Bible. There's no way I'm leaving my seat. I was like, I hadn't even thought of that see the problem is I have been in the church for over 40 years now I know you thought it was 20 but over 40 years now this is the culture I have been grown I've grown up in I've been steeped in I know the songs I know the drill I know when you stand up and when you sit down I've heard all the prayers before I know everything I, I, this is like a comfy slipper going out to Hastings that's not coming here not a problem. But the reality is we are trying to reach out to people to tell them about Jesus Christ and we don't realise the amount of barriers we are putting up between God and them. We've had people come to this church who have been really interested and excited about learning more about Jesus. And the thing that has stopped them, the thing that's created a barrier has been this church. Not the welcome. What is coming out every time is how lovely you are, how welcoming you are, how accepting you are. And that is amazingly important because that's much more difficult to change. Not all churches are like that. But we have to realise, and this is a journey that we will go on, is that the culture we have within our church is very far removed from what is accessible to people who know nothing of church, who we would call the unchurched. And sometimes we just expect them to just, just stick with it and you will get there eventually. 
If you change, then maybe God can reach you. Rather than saying to ourselves, you know what? We need to change in order to remove those barriers. See, if we're expecting the unchurched to come here, then we are asking them to be missionaries. We're asking them to go somewhere for gods they know nothing about. It's a cultural change. Well, actually, who did Jesus call to be missionaries? Us. And for some of us, that will mean stepping out into the unknown. For others of us, that will be about changing the known so it becomes accessible for those who need to know Jesus Christ. See, what is the barriers in our church, in your lives as a follower of Jesus Christ? Or maybe not even a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you know you should be giving your, your life to Jesus, but actually you're disobedient or you're fearful or for practical reasons saying no gods. Or actually you just don't realise you should. I want us to bring those barriers down so the Holy Spirit can flood this place. That this church can grow. This church can flourish. I want you to just be quiet for a moment and just ask God, what are the barriers in my life? The barriers between myself and God and the barriers I'm creating between others and God's. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to ask you to echo these words in your heart if they are applicable to you.